My name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Encounter Church, and I'm excited to close off this series called The Land of Erd. If you haven't been with us, really this series is about breaking free from the comparison trap. Now, the reality of comparison is that it is inevitable. All you have to do, yes, even at church, is look to your neighbor. Look to your left, look to your right, look around you when you go home, look across the street. When you're at work, look across the table at the meeting. Or if you're with your coworkers, look at them. Or when you're with family, anyone with family? Yes, this past week, I hope you were. You look at a family member, it's inevitable, it's all around us. When we look to someone else, it's so often to see what we don't have, right? Or even if you're not even thinking about people, sometimes when you just think about your life, it's easy for you to say, I I know that I have this job, but if I could just have that job. And you always want something more, right? If I could just be a little bit stronger here, if I could just be a little bit more brighter here, or if I could just have this job, and it's a continual thirst for what we don't have. Can anyone relate? And over this series, we've looked at different ways and different tools that have allowed us to to, to really break free from this trap. And today, what we're going to talk about, one of the greatest tools that you can use to break free from comparison is actually to be a contributor. We're going to learn a story in the Bible that Jesus teaches so incredibly. He's a master teacher, right? One of the most recorded books of all time right here since the printing press. There's nothing that's been printed more. And one of those reasons is not just the incredible stories and the story of God, but it's really the teachings of Jesus. Just down the road, a friend of mine is completing his PhD at Brandeis University. And you know some things about Christians and Jews. We obviously have a very different perspective of who Jesus is and the Messiah. Even people that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah love the teachings of Jesus. You may be here today. You may be exploring Christianity. You may say, I'm familiar with Christianity, but I really haven't placed my faith in Jesus yet. Even you could be blown away by what Jesus teaches. We're going to be looking at a story that Jesus taught that's been recorded for now, thousands of years, has been taught for thousands of years, and, and Jesus tells the, the tale of two different types of people. One that keeps for himself, and the other that gives. Now, this is appropriate. Anybody see Christmas lights last night? Christmas lights begin to, to come up, and it's a, it's a good time to think about Christmas, right? Because there's the giving, and there's the... Help me out, people. There's the giving, and there's, there's, the, there's the receiving. Which one do you like more? Let's be honest. Which one do you really like more? Anybody like getting a good gift? Okay, there's everyone that did not raise your hand. You're lying. Everyone like a good gift? And, and, and so many of you would say, you know what? Yeah, I like getting a good gift. Let me be real about this, but I love giving. There's something that happens about those that give, right? The joy that's in giving, I love this time of the year. Yeah, it's nice to get a good gift, but it's so incredible to give, isn't it? And it was captured well in a children's story that uh, my wife grew up that's been passed down now to our family. It's a story called Buzzle Billy. Anybody know it? Anybody? Everybody shaking their head no? Okay, in, in, no, no one knows Buzzle Billy, huh? Okay, I looked on Amazon last night. You can purchase it for one penny. That's how popular it is, right? Yeah, it doesn't sound very popular. But sometimes, you know, books that are like that cheap are actually really good because there's just that many of them. Well, it's a story that's been passed down. And every night I say, okay, boys, go pick out a book or go pick out two books and we'll sit down and we'll read books. One of the ones that I remember is this book because of how it captures the heart of a little child that always wants more, right? 
Now, just to not let you off the hook, parents, we're, we're no different. Like as, as we mature, we don't, it may look different, but we still struggle with this same thing. Well, Buzzle Billy in the book it has lots of toys and he has lots of friends. And so as you begin to turn the pages and you capture Buzzle Billy, Buzzle Billy has a problem. Just like Jason, me, has a problem. Just like people have a problem, no different than kids. Well, Buzzle Billy is playing with all of his toys and And what does Buzzle Billy do? He grabs a toy. And what's he do with that toy? What do you think? Does he offer it to his friend? Hey, I've I've been enjoying this toy so much. It's now your turn. I've had my turn. No, no, no. Serious. No, no, no. I've I've had my turn. It's now your turn. What do you think? Do you think Buzzle Billy does that? No, Buzzle Billy doesn't do that. Buzzle Billy keeps it for himself. What, What do you think his friends do while they're looking at Buzzle Billy? They get mad about it, right? Not just bad because they can't have the toy, but they end up not liking him. And you can tell he begins to lose friends. And every toy that he grabs, guess what happens? Another hand pops out. Another hand pops out from Buzzle Billy. And guess what he does with that extra third hand? He grabs another toy. Well, guess what happens when he grabs a third toy? Anybody? Another hand pops out. I'm like, no, the author's name is Michael Way. I'm like, no, Michael. This is a bad idea. Don't write this in the story to give him more hands because the kids are like, this is awesome. He's got 20 hands and he can hold 20 toys. This is great. But as the story goes on, and my kids, now six and four-year-old, they get it. They see Buzzle Billy and they see that there are no people around. The more he grabs, the more he wants. I thought, you know, the story could really suffice if Buzzle Billy just simply had all these toys sitting around him and no friends, right? No, but I think the author captures something that we always want more, right? And it's often what we don't have. And it takes us away from a place of contentment. Just like Buzzle Billy, he's searching and he's wanting. And the more that he grabs, the more that he pulls in, the more that he pulls in, the less content he is because he sees that none of those things matters because he didn't have his friends anymore. At Christmas, this is interesting as you reflect back over your childhood, right? And you, you, you get asked, hey, what do you want for Christmas, you know? And you begin to tell your parents. And you would probably not say that, just, just, this, just this mom. If you just give me this, I'm fine. I don't want anything else. Well, in our household, we've told the boys, listen, you, we want to know three things that you want. Just three, not four. Just three things. What do you think they did? Give us just a list of three or 30. Anybody? Well, my son says, well, dad, I know you said three, but if you decide a fourth, I want a basketball. And the next day, dad, I know you said three, but if you decide a fourth, I mean, he's already told us the three, but he's listing all these things that are four. What if on Christmas day, you open up three gifts? And I said, hey, I got one more. No, dad, you said three. Three's enough, right? It's, it's, never, it's never quite enough, right? There's something that happens when you get older. You begin to see the joy of giving, don't you? It's not natural for a child to be born in this world and to give them all grace. All kids do the same thing, right? We like toys, we like gifts, and it's fun. And I love that time of year because of the giving, and they get to receive, and they get to have fun. There's something that happens as you grow older and as you mature. You begin to experience what it's like to give away. They really battle each other, don't they? In some ways, because the man that wants everything is not consumed about giving anything away. But the man that comes to a place in his life, whatever journey, however you get there, if you're at a place in your life where you absolutely love to give and you can't give away, I can guarantee you one thing. You're probably not struggling with a case of the gimme hands like Buzzle Billy. 
because your heart is so focused on, on giving things away. The Bible's full of teachings of contrast. You may meet a person like this, but then there's a person like that. And Jesus tells these parables, and a parable captures the heart of God in so many ways, but the overarching theme of a parable is something that Jesus wants to teach the people of God. Some that have faith in him, but some that are just listeners. They don't have faith in God yet, and they're exploring faith, but they're listening in. When Jesus starts in Matthew chapter 25, he starts with this, the kingdom of God is like. Now, if you were around Jesus, and he said, do you want to know what heaven's like? What, what do you think? Even people that didn't have faith in Jesus yet, they're like, yeah, 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 tell me about heaven. Well, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, really what it does, the kingdom of God captures the people of God, like his people, his home. And Jesus teaches on that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. It's the first book in the New Testament. It's about three quarters of the way through. If you don't, you can look at your app and you can touch Bible and you can follow along the scripture from there. But I want to read you a story. Now, it's a long story. I'm going to break some of the rules of communication and especially it's with teaching. If I read four chapters right now from the Bible, I'd lose most of you, right? I'm going to read a lot of verses. I want you to hang in there. We're going to talk about this story. Fascinating story. Matthew chapter 25, and we're actually going to start in verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. The kingdom of heaven will be like, that's verse 1, and then he jumps down to 14. It will be like the kingdom, like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one servant, he gave five talents, and to another, he gave two. To another, only one, each according to his own ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now... After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him the same thing, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. And now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went in and hid your talent, and the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was owned with my own interest. Now before we read the last three verses, a little bit later on, I want to capture the story. Jesus tells a story, and he tells about a master. Now, now the master had a lot of money. Let's just start with that. The master had a lot of money. He calls in three people. And if you follow the story, he gave each of them according to his own ability. One, five talents. One, two talents. And the other one, one. Now, let me tell you what a talent is. Because 
here where we live in the Boston area or in anywhere in the United States, you're not going to see that word or see that translation from the, from the Bible and go, oh, wow, that's, that's a lot. You don't really maybe not understand what a talent is. A talent is an equivalent of about 20 years worth of wages, 20 years worth of wages. So the master had a lot of money and he entrusted him three of his servants that he chose. Another way that I want you to picture a talent is 75 pounds worth of silver, one talent. And so to one, he gave five 75 pounds worth of silver. 20 years worth of wages represented in just one bag. So one of the servants, 100 years worth of wages. Do you think he was a sharp leader, a sharp servant? Yeah, because what did he do with it? He went out and worked. If you were given a lot of money, would you spend it or would you work with it to make more? That's just a real simple thing, right? What do most people do when given a lot of money? They win the lottery and you could chronicle the stories of people. They, they do what? They spend it. Over 50, don't know the exact number. I couldn't find it because I've found conflicting resources, but somewhere around 50% of professional athletes have to file bankruptcy. Like, wait a second, wait a second, wait, 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 that's not right. All you have to do is take your first paycheck and set it aside. Go to a trusted banker and make money the rest of your life. And just pull 40 or 50,000 the rest of your year, once a year. And you could survive. No, 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 no. Because people that have money, you want to spend it, right? This guy had 100 years worth of wages. And guess what he hears from his master years later? Now, we get the idea that this master came back towards the end of his life. Well, what, guess, what, what does he hear from his master? Good job. You made more money with it. You worked. You weren't lazy. You went out and you worked with it. And you've done a good job. You were given a lot. And what you were given, you did a good job with. Well, then there's the other one. He had two talents, right? I mean, just 150 pounds worth of silver, just 40 years worth of wages, not as much. And what did he do? The story doesn't say he looked to the one with the five talents and thought, no, whoa, whoa, why did he get 100? Why did he get five talents? I only have two. It doesn't say anything like that. It says he went off and did what? What did he do with his two talents? He went off and worked. He didn't complain that he didn't have more. He took what God, or what the master in this story, he took what the master had given him, and he said, this is my lot, this is what I've been given, and he went out and worked. And, and what's interesting is, is what Jesus says, the master told the one with two talents. When he told the one with two talents, you've been given what? A little. You've been given a little, and you still did a good job with it. Well done, good and faithful servant. He tells both of these servants, just both of them, not one, he tells both of his servants, well done, you have done a good job with what you have. And I think, I think the story would have made sense with just two servants, right? One that went off and made more money and was faithful, one that went off and didn't do a good job. No, three. Two that did a good job. One had a lot, one had a little. But both of them did a good job. Both of them here, well done, good and faithful servant. But what about the one? One of the servants was just given one talent. The Bible doesn't say too much about what he said back to the master. The Bible doesn't say he said anything to the master. He took his one talent. What was going on inside of his heart? Because as we read the story, we learn that he hid the money. What would you do if you were given a little bit? I think it's kind of wise, right? He doesn't have much money. And so, listen, if I gave you $10 and I said, listen, you need to survive on that $10. This comparison, this 
this analogy pales in comparison when you look at the money. But I'm just, in our, in our world, $10 isn't a lot of money, right? Even $100 isn't a lot of money. You'd say $1,000 to survive on, it's just not a lot of money. If I gave you a small sum of money, wouldn't it be wise for you to go and hide it and save it, right? Wouldn't it be? Because you don't have much. I mean, your risk is so high. Like, I don't have much money. And, and why, why is this guy, why does the master come back and say, no, you weren't supposed to do that? I mean, he, strong language here, here at the end of the story, wicked and lazy servant. What are you doing? I gave you one talent, which wasn't as much as the other two, and you didn't do anything with it. What was going on in the heart of the servant that would have made him do what he did? We learn in the story that he hid it. One of the problems is that, number one, he was scared, right? He was scared to lose what he had. He didn't have much, and so he held on to it tighter. You would think, well, that, that's not too bad, is it? I mean, I, I can understand where the guy's coming from. I understand his struggle because he doesn't have much. And so let's give the guy a break, can we? And then we, we enter into the story and say, okay, master, I, I, I'm sorry. You're being a little bit harsh on him, right? Like he didn't have much. But the problem was, that anything he had, he held on to. Anything he had, he held on to. So number one, he was scared. The second thing, his grip was too tight. It was control. I, I don't know about you, but I, I can relate to some of that, that sense of control. Sometimes the less you have, the more you have to manage it. If you make $1,000 a month, just to use quick numbers, you make $1,000 a month, which is a lot of money, right? And you say, well, I'm just... My rent's 500. Look at this other 500. How, how in the world can I survive on $125 a week? What you're not eager to do is go to church that Sunday and give that 125 away every week. You're not eager to go to your business and they're doing some fundraiser or some parent comes to you, hey, my kid's doing a fundraiser. Will you buy this candy bar? I mean, you're just not eager to just dish out money. You're not eager to go shopping and just lay it all out there because that would just would not be wise. You don't have much, right? But the master... What Jesus does here is flip up this idea of control. You have a man who doesn't have much, and yet from what Jesus taught in the story, he kept too tight of a control over just that one talent. He went and hid it. He even said, listen, I was afraid that you would come back. And this was the last thing. He was just afraid, right? I was afraid that you would come back. And if you come back, you're going to take it. And he's like, yeah, it's mine, <laughs> you know, right? Yes, of course I'm going to take it. What would you have done if you had one talent and everyone around you had more? You might be there. You might say, okay, I get the story. I get the analogy. I don't have much and I'm afraid. I'm afraid that tomorrow I'm not going to have enough. I'm afraid that the next day I'm not going to have enough because I, I, I don't have much. And that's the reality is I don't have much. And so a part of me, I feel bad for this guy, right? I feel bad for him because he's been given a hard time by the master and Yet he was called out and he simply just wanted to save it, right? No. The master sees into his heart. Not only did he want to save it, but the bottom line is he wanted to keep it for himself. What the master calls out is not saving, right? Not saving the $10 that you're giving, or the $100 or the 1000 that you're giving. The master calls out his greed. The master says, if, if you knew that I was going to come back and take it, why didn't you make more, right? Why didn't you do something with what you were given? And so what happens at the end of the story? Look at the last few verses with me. I'm going to back up, even though I already read this. I'll start at verse 26. In verse 26, we'll read this one and read through the end. 
But his master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was owned with my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I remember in seminary when I was studying these scriptures and in detail, I, I gotta be honest, I struggled with this one. This is a hard teaching of Jesus. Hard teaching of Jesus. But the more I've read it and the more that it's soaked into my heart, we, we actually see the heart of God here in an incredible way. You know, it doesn't take long to illustrate. We talked about it earlier and we talked about it in illustrating Buzzle Billy in, in the gimme hands, right? It's so easy for us, and we all relate to wanting. Yes, we all relate to more, and if I could just, and we always see what could be more. We have a hunger and a thirst, and sometimes it's never, ever, ever satisfied. And what Jesus is saying here, and he's telling this story, is that there's two different types of people. Those that take what they have been given, by the way, right? It's not yours. And we learn from other teachings and we see in scripture that everything you have, everything you have has been given to you by God. If you truly believe that, what would you do with what you have? You would use it for who? Anybody? You'd use it for him. You'd use it for God. There's the type of person sitting in this chair that says, what I have, I've been given. It doesn't matter if I have one talent or five, what I have, I've been given and I'm gonna use it for God. And then there's the other one over here that no, no matter if they have one talent or five talent, they say, I'm going to use it for me. And what Jesus does is he, he calls out the one that uses it for himself. Imagine getting to the end of your life and you meet with the master. We believe in scripture. We learn from what the teachings of Jesus say and, and what the stories of the Bible say is that one day all people will stand before God. And what if this conversation happened? It doesn't matter how much money you make, right? It just, what if this conversation happened and the master asks you to give an account with your life? No matter if you have one talent or five talents, to use our numbers, no matter if you make $40,000 a year or $400,000 a year. It doesn't matter. It does, it does not matter, period. It doesn't matter. What'd you do with it? And you, get, and you have to give an account. What would you say? What would he say? The way I want to transition at this point is for you to think about your contribution. Because what you can't think about is how much money you make. Because that's not the point of the story. I don't want you to think, well, for, for me, I, I'm the one that's more um, at risk because I don't have much. And that puts me in a pressured spot, right? Because I don't know what to do. Like, how do, I, how do I be faithful with what God has given to me? That's a tough question to answer isn't it? Because a lot of people, you just don't know, like, what do I do? How do I, how do I make sure, if I were to fast forward and meet the master at the end of my life, how do I hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, the purpose of this message in this series is to overcome the things that cause us to attach ourselves and to compare, right? We, we so easily, we said we look beside us, we look across the street, we look across the table, we look across the meeting, and we compare, and in comparing and looking out from ourselves, we want to continue a hunger and a thirst 
for things that aren't ours, and it, it causes us to do this. It causes us to pull in things and keep them and hoard them all for ourselves. But the way that we can battle that is to actually be a contributor. You see, what the first two servants did well is not just that they were good with their money. It's what they said when they met their master. And I love this. This is so easy to overlook this story, Matthew chapter 25. I want you to capture this. What, when the master met with the first two servants, guess what one of the first things they said was, hey, you gave me five talents, and here's the word. You ready for it? Here. When the servants met the master, they said, here. And that's why they heard, well done, good and faithful servant, is because they said, here. I thought, well, what would have happened if, if the man with the five talents only made two? I don't think he would have heard you know, um, you wicked and lazy servant. I think he, because he worked and he said, here. Guys, it doesn't matter today. And I'm not talking about, we're going to do an offering in just a moment. I'm not even talking about the, the offering. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life. What if you said this to God? Here. I don't have much, but here I am. I think that's when you would hear, well done, good and faithful servant is because you become a servant to him. But the heart and the lie that sits over in this chair that always wants more and is always taking more, they're not ready to serve because they just want, they just want more. It was so hard at Christmas. I remember using the parents as an, or the kids as an illustration at Christmas earlier. What's so hard at Christmas is to, is to teach the heart of a child to be a giver, right? I mean, I can't look at my little six-year-old and say, listen, man, stop asking for gifts. You need to be worried about giving, right? Paul in the scripture records Jesus saying, that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, right? That's a principle of God. That's the heart of God is that God loves, it because he is a giver, he loves the heart of a giver, not the heart of a taker. But one who's worried about comparison and wanting to be like or wanting to be more is always pulling in, right? And the more we pull in, the more the hands pop out, the more we continue to just pull in for ourselves. But the heart of God is a contributor, I, I believe the two servants heard well done, good and faithful servants because of that one word that reflected what was in their heart. They said, here. For those of you that find a family at Christmas, you can't give them much and you give them a $20 gift card and hey, this is just for you. I, God's heart, you know what he says to that? Well done, good and faithful servant. To those that can't give much, to use the offering as an example and, and you give you give $5, you know what God says? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? It's not because you're wanting more for yourself to purchase whatever from the blank, whatever your life is. It's because you have the heart of a giver. There, there are two people in the story. Remember, three servants, two servants in the story that took their life, what they had been given, and they went out and worked and they gave. And there's just that one that did this. And his reflection of doing this was that he dug a hole and he hid it because he wanted it for himself and he wanted to control it for himself and therefore he never gave. There's another story in the scripture where um, a, a very, very poor woman was applauded. You know why she was applauded? A very, very poor woman because of how little she gave. I, I love this story. She was applauded because of how little she gave. And you know why? Because Jesus saw her heart. Jesus saw that in her poverty, she gave her wealth. And this isn't about money. This isn't about how much you make. It's about you. It's about your life. The heart of the giver 
finds joy. And the heart of the, of the taker, the heart of the receiver that always just wants this, finds an endless pit of a lack of contentment, an endless pit of despair. I think if you looked at your own life, I think you could, even looking back and looking forward, you could probably relate to say, man, I know what it's like to want and to always want and to always think that there's some need out there and to always want to do this, right? But God's heart is not that. God's heart is to give. And so I, I believe just to use this example and the servants, if Jesus, the master, were to meet with people and to give an account for their life, and that Jesus would, would say, well done, good and faithful servants, to those that say, here. No matter what you have, no matter how much you have, there's a couple of things I want to mention as we wrap up. These are in your notes, these three things. Um, if you hit on the sermon notes, you're going to see these three statements. And I wanted to wrap up by giving you these at the very end because I want you to capture it. The first is this, the kingdom of God is like people who work hard. This is from Jesus' heart. This is from what we just read in Matthew chapter 25. The kingdom of God is like people who work hard with what they have been given in order to be a contributor. In order to be a contributor as opposed to complaining about what they don't have and hoarding for themselves. It's it's one or the other, isn't it? I know there's a struggle in that, and I know you could say, well, I do give, I want to give, but it's just so hard to give. This is the kingdom of God. It's like those who work hard with what they've been given. The second is this, our purpose is to contribute with what we have, not be consumed by what we don't have. Our purpose is to contribute with what we have, no matter how little or, or how much, the purpose is to contribute with what we have, not be consumed by what we don't have. And finally is this, if you want to see a return on your life, how can you begin to contribute? I'm not just talking about with your money. I'm talking about your, your life. Remember, if you say here, if you say, I want to see a return, I, I, I don't know if I have the one talent or the five talents or 0 0.005 talent. Like, I don't know what in years wages. I don't know how many talents God's given me, but I know this, at the end of my life, I want to see a return. I want to see that, that my life mattered and that my life counted. Like, wouldn't you want to say that? So many of you are shaking your heads like, yeah, that's me. I, I want to see a return on my life. I want to know that my life counted. And when I meet the master, I want to hear, well, well done, good and faithful servant. Two of these servants had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what made the difference is they met Jesus. They believed that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior and they placed their faith in him. They saw their sin before God and they knew that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and resurrected from the grave and he offered forgiveness for all of mankind. And he said, whoever would place their faith in me can have eternal life. Two of these servants reflected a heart of someone that said, I believe in Jesus. I want my life to count. And when I meet the master, no matter how little I have or how much I have, I want to make sure it counts. And Jesus says, well done. You worked hard with what you have and you contributed. Well done. But one didn't have a relationship with Jesus and kept everything for himself. It's not to say that the only people that contribute are those that know Jesus, right? Because there are people that don't know Jesus that contribute a lot. And there are people that do know Jesus that don't contribute. So don't get this confused, but I will say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is God's heart that you contribute with your life. And so the question is this, and it's in your notes, how can I begin to contribute my life to matter for the kingdom?
you can do that in one of a few ways. Number one, with all the time that God's given you, however many years you have, you can use your life and all of the time, because that's one of the most precious gifts that God has given you, right? I pray for a long life. I do. I don't know about you. I, I, I've always prayed for 80 years. I've been praying that for about 10 years. I may die next year. I may die at 79. I don't know, but I pray that God would give me a long life so I can use all that time for him. So today, consider your time. There's another thing that, about your talents. God has created you and wired you and gifted you. I don't know how, but he has. And you can use that for the king, Jesus, and the kingdom, and the church. Or you can not use it for the king, the kingdom, and the church. Use it just for your own good. One way that you can do that is by taking your time and taking your talents and volunteering. Not just volunteering here at church, so we would love to have you consider doing that because we have a, an incredible opportunity and need for that. Um, but volunteering out in the community, getting engaged in the community and using what God has given you and how God has created you and gifted you for the good of the kingdom. And the last one is this, and this is illustrated very clearly in the circle, is that God has gifted you and given you financially. Some have 0.05 of a talent. Some people have one talent. Some people have five talents. You may have 10 talents in this room. But whatever God has gifted you and given you, if you use it for the good of the kingdom, God recognizes the heart of a giver. And guess what he does with the heart of a giver? He celebrates it. He celebrates it. In the next few moments after I pray, we've come to a time in our service where we're going to give an offering. And if you're a believer and a regular attendee, we invite you. This is one of your opportunities where you say, God, I want to give. I want to be a part. I want to keep it for myself. It doesn't matter if it's a little bit or a lot. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're a guest with us, don't feel the pressure and the need to give. We, we don't want you to give today. Um, we certainly want you to be our guest and just enjoy this um, time together. But this is a way that we can contribute. And we can say to God that, hey, listen, I'm not trying to keep it for myself. I want to use my time, my talents, my life, my energy, and all of my resources that you've given. I want to use it for you, God. I want to use it for you. Let's pray. Father, help us to battle in our hearts, struggle, to always want to grab and pull in and keep for ourselves. Lord, we don't want to sit not in a seat of deceiving and grabbing and keeping and a continual hunger and a thirst for more. We want to take that, God, and move to a place of joy and contentment for giving. And to help us, God, to remember this parable, this teaching that you've given us, that there is a life that says, here, I want to use what I have, no matter how little or how much I have, I want to use it for you. And so we pray, God, that you'd move us to that place of giving, move us to that place of contributing so we can please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.